It all begins with a tiny seed, a harbinger of life and potential, a vessel teeming with potential. Within its protective shell lies the blueprint for growth, awaiting the perfect conditions to spring to life. The seed undergoes a remarkable transformation when it encounters moisture, warmth, and oxygen. It awakens from dormancy, sprouting a delicate root that anchors into the nurturing soil. At the same time, a tender shoot emerges, reaching towards the radiant sun. This miraculous awakening represents the plant's determination and resilience as it embarks on its journey of growth. During the growth stage, the young plant thrives, harnessing energy from the sun and essential nutrients from the soil. Above ground, remarkable adaptations occur as stems elongate, branches spread gracefully, and leaves unfurl, all in pursuit of maximizing sunlight through a process called photosynthesis. As maturity approaches, a momentous event unfolds, the stage of reproduction. With precision, flowers burst forth, captivating our senses with vibrant colors and enticing scents. <clears throat> okay. We could use whatever language or tone we like to describe this magnificent process that we take for granted, but if you're like a massive swath of the population, you probably woke up one March morning feeling not your best, and you still might not. Because the plant cycle of life has an unforeseen consequence not mentioned here. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you search for springtime truth, you'll find it here. Amidst childhood's words. The blooming flowers, the scented air we breathe. Oh, seasons change, there's no reprieve. Allergies, it's such a pretty blue. Everyone I know says I choose. Excuse me. Oh, seasonal allergies. They're the true paradox of existence, a naturally occurring response to the beauty of springtime, a time we dream about most of the long winter, and yet, for those who suffer from them, they can be a nightmare. The prevalence of seasonal allergies has skyrocketed in recent years, impacting millions of people worldwide. What's causing this surge in allergy sufferers? Well, there's no easy answer, but there are a few factors that seem to be contributing to the problem. In this episode, we'll explore the history of seasonal allergies, from their first description in 1870 to their current epidemic-like levels. We'll take a deep dive into the technological advancements that may be making allergies worse, including urbanization and, yes, botanical sexism. And of course, 
the impact of human activity that may be making the seasons become longer and drier. But find out for yourself in a special solo episode I'm calling From Seeds to Sneezes, Unraveling the Rise of the Allergy Apocalypse. Watch out, you might get what you're after. In the last few years, everyone might have been relieved when they realized their itchy eyes and stuffy noses were just allergies and not the dreaded COVID-19 virus. But now that we're, I think I can say, past the pandemic, seasonal allergies have taken center stage again, and this year they're particularly vicious. Pollen counters and allergists across the country report that the allergy season started earlier and more intensely than usual leaving even those without a history of allergies feeling their effects. Even people who don't have a history of seasonal allergies can be symptomatic, warns Dr. Joyce Yu, a pediatric allergist immunologist at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. This winter, since it's been somewhat warm, the trees have been pollinating on the earlier side. So if you're feeling wheezy, sneezy, and sporting puffy eyes... You can always blame it on the bloomers. Okay, boomer. There's a lot more of that, people. Can't turn back now. But now that we're here, I think it's fair to ask, how did we get here? Time for a quick history lesson. Cue the music, Doc. Buds, no, stop that. Stop that music. That's only for American history stuff, Bugs. Jeez, like anyone gives a shit. Stop that. Go... Go find something that fits better. Allergies, far from being a modern affliction, have plagued humanity for centuries. The history of allergy treatment is a captivating tale, as the surge in allergies has sparked a pressing quest for control, treatment, and perhaps even a cure. But let's embark on a journey through time to uncover the origins of it all. That's an interesting choice. We'll go with it. Ancient Egypt offers glimpses into the struggles of our early ancestors who faced allergic reactions with reports of allergy-related deaths dotting the historical landscape. The curiosity surrounding the impact of the environment on the human body can be traced back to ancient Chinese texts and the employment of inhalation therapy by Egyptian physicians. The Middle Ages and Renaissance witnessed a convergence of medical and intellectual progress, Notable figures like Raziz and Paracelsus, alongside Arabic physicians, contributed vital insights into seasonal allergies and the triggering role of flowers and shrubs in asthma attacks. Other great minds joined the fray as the years rolled on. In the early 1800s, the invention of the stethoscope gave physicians a new tool to diagnose asthma, while John Bostock penned a classic description of hay fever a malady he himself suffered from since childhood. And then there was Charles Harrison Blackley, a pioneering figure in the fight against hay fever. Blackley was one of the first scientists to realize that pollen was the primary cause of this malady, and he performed a series of experiments on himself, rubbing pollen into his eyes and skin to trigger an allergic reaction. 
that? I'm gonna put some dirt in your eye. Oh, sick! Sure, it's not that noticeable. Hold. My eyes! All right. But the fight against allergies wasn't just about understanding their causes. It was also about finding ways to combat them. Doctors like Edward Jenner, who developed the first vaccinations, and the work of researchers like Emil Adolf von Baring and Clemens von Perquet in the field of immunology helped pave the way for new treatments and therapies. All of this is to say that the history of allergies and asthma is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. Before 1819, the world had little knowledge of allergic diseases until hay fever was first described. So with that in mind, what led to the sudden emergence and increase in hay fever cases? Well, it's worth noting that while allergies were becoming more common in Western societies, African villages with less emphasis on hygiene at the time had much lower rates of hay fever. This implies that our excessive focus on cleanliness, while helpful in many ways, may be doing us more harm than good when it comes to hay fever. See, during the 1700s, the upper class had an unusual belief about cleanliness. Rather than bathing regularly, they valued changing the white linens that were hidden under their clothing. These linens were thought to absorb the body's impurities, which was seen as a sign of cleanliness and high social status. Stiff, starched white collars and cuffs that extended beyond their outer clothing became a symbol of purity and superiority. However, over time, this idea of cleanliness changed with the evolving views of those same people in the upper echelons of society. In the 19th century, cleanliness took on a new significance, separating the elite from the lower classes. It became fashionable to bathe regularly, thanks to plumbing and other scientific advancements. Bathrooms would become a symbol of status, gradually making their way from the mansions of the wealthy to the homes of the everyday people. Soap would play a crucial role in promoting cleanliness as a desirable way of life. It symbolized social inclusion, representing a fresh start and a clean slate, so to speak. As the 19th century came to a close, people began to grasp the connection between cleanliness and good health, understanding that washing away dirt and germs was essential for well-being. Enter Louise Pasteur, the French scientist who revolutionized medical thinking with his groundbreaking discoveries in the 1880s. Pasteur's insights about microbes and disease transmission influenced not only the medical community, but also the public health movement. What are you trying to do? Brush the dirt off? What's wrong with you? You might want to start with washing. I'm not taking this again. Once. Clean hands were emphasized becoming the mantra for the masses. And by the 1920s and 1930s, Hand washing had likely become common in most Western countries. It was another fine addition to a hygiene revolution that took place over the past couple of centuries by tidying up our streets, improving sanitation and water quality, and implementing toilets and sewer systems. As a result, infectious diseases decreased, but allergies increased. However, rural areas took longer to adopt these cleanliness practices due to their traditional ways of life. Therefore, hand-washing and other cleansing routines were slower to be adopted in these regions. In the quest for cleanliness and good health, we've embarked on a captivating journey shaped by societal shifts 
scientific breakthroughs, and evolving perspectives. It serves as a poignant reminder that personal hygiene transcends mere preference. It reflects our values and defines the essence of our society. However, our hyper-sanitized Western lifestyle, fueled by an obsession with cleanliness, may have unwittingly traded off microbial exposure for reduced infection risks. In our pursuit to fortify ourselves against certain diseases, we may have disrupted the delicate equilibrium of our immune system's development. This is at the heart of the hygiene hypothesis, championed by David Strachan in 1989. This hypothesis suggests that the rise in allergic diseases such as asthma and hay fever in the 20th century could be linked to a lack of early childhood infections. Strachan's theory gained traction when he observed lower rates of hay fever and eczema in children from larger families who were exposed to more infectious agents through their siblings. This idea upended the medical world, becoming a pivotal focus for studying chronic inflammatory disorders. This hypothesis highlights that the prevalence of asthma in developed countries may stem from excessively clean households that fail to provide the necessary germ exposure crucial for proper immune system maturation. Mixing in our penchant for indoor activities deprives us of the diverse microbial allies necessary for fortifying our immune defenses from an early age. This disturbance in gut colonization has been linked to an increased susceptibility to allergic diseases. But here's where it gets intriguing. Epidemiological studies have uncovered a fascinating pattern. Children raised on good old traditional farms, immersed in an environment teeming with microbial diversity, seem to possess an armor against asthma, hay fever, and allergic sensitization. It appears that Mother Nature's untamed embrace might hold tantalizing secrets to our well-being. Now, the hygiene hypothesis has evolved over time. Scientists used to think that getting infections as kids could protect us from allergies later on. But now they believe it's not just any infections that matter, but specific microbes or tiny organisms that we come in contact with in our everyday lives. They call these microbes old friends and name the hypothesis after this. Hello, my old friend. Because they've been around with humans for a very long time, even when our immune systems were still developing. These old friends can be found in our environment, like in the air we breathe, on our skin, and even in our guts. Some of them are harmless and don't cause any problems, while others might have been a part of infections in the past. What scientists have discovered is that when we're exposed to a diverse range of these old friends, especially when we're very young, it helps our immune system stay balanced and not overreact to harmless things like pollen or dust, which are common triggers for allergies. But here's the problem. In recent years, our lifestyles have become not only focused on cleanliness, but staying indoors. We spend less time in natural environments and more time in cities and buildings. This means we're missing out on those beneficial microbe exposures. To make things worse, the loss of microbial diversity in our bodies is linked to an increase in allergies and other health issues. 
Some experts attribute the rise in asthma to a combination of improved hygiene and increased pollen, stemming from agricultural changes. However, it's crucial to note that the significant hygiene transformations in Northern Europe and the United States were largely completed by 1920, but the surge in childhood asthma didn't commence until the 1960s, and by 1990, it had reached epidemic proportions in countries where children embraced an indoor-centric lifestyle. The shift indoors brought about many changes that could have played a role in the rise of allergies. These include increased sensitization to indoor allergens, diet, and decreased physical activity, as well as the effects of prolonged periods of shallow breathing. Overall, the crucial takeaway from this information is that sequential changes in lifestyle have led to the rise of various allergic diseases. But it was never ever one or two factors that affected us, but a whole slew of factors that created what we're calling today the allergy apocalypse. Our world is rapidly shifting towards urban living, with more and more people flocking to cities. By the year 2050, it's estimated that a whopping 68% of the global population will call urban areas their home. But here's the thing. This urban lifestyle comes with its own set of challenges, including a rise in airborne allergies. As we move towards urbanization, we're also witnessing an increase in pollution levels. The air we breathe becomes filled with harmful substances from things like exhaust fumes from vehicles. And guess what? These atmospheric pollutants don't just affect the environment. They also impact the very nature of pollen grains. They literally tinker with their physical, chemical, and biological properties turning them into formidable super allergens. But that's not all. Air pollution doesn't just make pollen more potent, it also makes us more vulnerable to its effects. When the pollution levels in our surroundings skyrocket, even a small amount of pollen can send our immune systems into overdrive, triggering an allergic response. Now let's focus on the urban landscape itself a little more. Cities have a way of creating what scientists call heat islands. These are areas within the concrete jungle that are several degrees warmer than the surrounding rural regions. And you know what thrives in these toasty pockets? Trees and plants. They soak up that urban heat, turning green earlier in the year and holding onto their vibrant foliage longer. It sounds picturesque, but for people like me who are actually suffering from allergies their whole life. It's kind of a hellscape. We're going to turn to another subject called botanical sexism. Botanical sexism is the practice of planting male-only trees in urban areas to avoid the mess that's caused by female trees' seeds and flowers. This form of gender bias neglects the ecological benefits provided by female trees such as air purification and wildlife habitat. The term botanical sexism highlights the discriminatory nature of selecting trees based on gender. This term was first coined by Thomas Leo Ogren. 
Ogren is an American horticulturalist known for his research on allergy-friendly gardening. He's author of several books on the subject, and his work has influenced landscaping practices and raised awareness of the connection between plants and allergies. So let me unravel this delicate dance of botanical biology for you, if you'll let me. You see, it's the males who take center stage in the cities, boasting an extravagant production of flowers that number in the millions, churning out a veritable deluge of pollen. It's quite the spectacle indeed, but on the other side of this arboreal saga, we have the females. They eschew the pollen game entirely. These ladies produce seeds of their own, and in their grand reproductive pursuit, their fruits and seeds may find themselves adorning sidewalks and streets. But nature's whimsical messiness was not something that urban planners necessarily cared for. And that's where Thomas Ogren steps in. Ogren's educational journey may not have followed the traditional path, but his quest for knowledge knew no bounds. A high school dropout turned master's degree holder in agriculture and horticulture from California Polytechnic State University, he proved that expertise could be forged through hands-on experiences. From lemon plucking in sunny Santa Barbara to dairy farming in Minnesota to brakeman duties on the Santa Fe Railroad, Ogren's diverse background provided him with a unique lens to view the world. However, it was his time as a prison landscaper that sparked a transformative moment. In the early days of his marriage to his wife, Yvonne, who battled allergies and asthma, Ogren sought to understand her struggles. In his pursuit, he stumbled upon a psychologist's book claiming that allergies, particularly affecting women at the time, were nothing more than psychosomatic reactions. <laughs> women. <laughs> Of course they were. Initially, Ogren aligned with this perspective, lacking empathy for it. Nevertheless, his inquisitiveness persisted, and he embarked on an immersive exploration of the intricate interplay between plants and allergies. Ogren's voyage into the realm of botanical sexism began innocently enough. He says, I was working on a prison landscaping gig, surrounded by a sea of acacia trees. Hope I said that right. He goes on, I couldn't help but notice my crew members constantly sniffing and sneezing. That's when it hit me like a ton of pollen-filled bricks. His revelation was precise. The allergy-inducing pollen hailed from male plants and municipal plantings predominantly featured male specimens to mitigate the mass. Further investigations propelled Ogren to patent the Ogren Plant Allergy Scale, or OPALS for short. This is an unparalleled reference guide that unveils the allergy levels of over 3,000 common trees, shrubs, flowers, and grasses. But it wasn't always this way. See, before 1950, the urban forests of the United States flourished with an equal distribution of male and female trees grown from seedlings. However, the tides turned and an allergy epidemic reared its pollen-covered head. Ogren's claims find support in the numbers. In 1952, a mere 2% of Americans suffered from allergies. But today, a staggering 30% of adults and 40% of children grapple with some form of allergic reaction to pollen. We've got a serious problem, and it's only getting worse, Ogren warns. 
Male trees, he asserts, recklessly scatter their gametes in all directions, a behavior that befits the wild where female trees readily absorb the pollen. Yet, as urban forestry succumbs to the dominance of male trees, city dwellers find themselves drenched in a deluge of arboreal spunk, as he puts it. Ogren wanted to know where this prevalence for male trees came from. In his findings, Ogren uncovered a seemingly innocuous line from the 1949 Yearbook of Agriculture published by the USDA. The book's chapter on trees and forests advised, When used for street plantings, only male trees should be selected to avoid the nuisance from the seed. In essence, Ogren's journey not only unraveled the botanical sexism intertwined with allergenic plants, but also shed light on the escalating allergy epidemic plaguing our urban landscapes. Kenneth Mendez, the president and CEO of the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, or the AAFA, said, The problem we got into is we tried to engineer this in terms of beauty or aesthetics. And now, we're feeling it physically. He continues, The other thing to keep in mind is that because of climate change, there are more intense releases of pollen and longer growing seasons. The impact of climate change cannot be ignored in the context of the allergy apocalypse. Rising temperatures, altered precipitation patterns, and changing seasons have significant implications for plant behavior and the timing of pollen release. As the climate warms, plants respond by producing more pollen and extending their pollination periods, resulting in longer and more intense allergy seasons. Carbon dioxide with plants acts like a hormone almost, Ogren asserts. He goes on, we have more carbon dioxide in our air now than we ever had before in our history. So with all this carbon dioxide going on, the male trees are now producing more pollen than they ever did before. Climate change also influences the distribution of growth of allergenic plants. So here's the thing. It all goes back to basic biology, the kind of stuff we learned in high school. See, plants need carbon dioxide to do their whole photosynthesis gig. And we've been pumping loads of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere for uh, a solid century and a half now. So here's the kicker. As those CO2 levels rise, we're essentially giving plants a gourmet buffet of growth-inducing goodness. They're getting the ingredients they need to thrive and produce more pollen than ever before. Some species are expanding their range into new territories, while others are experiencing shifts in flowering times. This dynamic interaction between climate and vegetation contributes to the complex and evolving nature of allergies, making it a multifaceted challenge that requires ongoing attention and adaptation. Where there's more smog, for example, you have that layer that traps the pollen, Mendez said, and the other things in that can also make your allergies worse. In response, medical professionals and researchers are working diligently to develop innovative treatments and preventative measures. 
Immunotherapies such as allergy shots and sublingual tablets aim to desensitize individuals to specific allergens over time, providing long-term relief from symptoms. Advances in pharmacology have led to the development of more targeted and effective medications, offering some relief for those experiencing reactions. Furthermore, public health initiatives and awareness campaigns strive to educate the public about allergy triggers and prevention strategies. Understanding the environmental and lifestyle factors that contribute to allergies empowers individuals to make informed decisions and take proactive steps in order to minimize their risk. But there is one more overlooked aspect of our allergy response, our mental health. Maya Nanda, a pediatric allergist, noticed a striking trend among her patients. Those with severe allergies also had higher rates of anxiety and depression. Subsequent studies in children and German adults have provided further support for this connection, suggesting a possible link between allergies and mental health. However, it's important to acknowledge the limitations in the current research, such as age factors and reliance on self-reported allergies. Nevertheless, multiple papers have reached a consistent conclusion. Individuals with allergies are more susceptible to experiencing anxiety. Allergies may induce anxiety through the stress that comes with being sick and the release of cortisol, a hormone that interferes with serotonin, a chemical response for regulating mood. Additionally, allergies lead to the accumulation of inflammatory chemicals called cytokines, cytokines in the nose and sinuses, which can potentially affect brain function and the central nervous system. There may even be an evolutionary explanation for the association between allergies and anxiety. Maya Nanda proposes that allergic individuals may feel anxious as a means to avoid allergens, offering an adaptive advantage in their survival. I swear to God that might be true. From personal experience, there's almost this weird anxiousness, like you're trying to prepare your body not to succumb to allergies. I don't know. I think anybody who's listening who suffers from really bad seasonal allergies might understand that. And yeah, yeah, it's just, that's a strange connection. So while it's plausible that the relationship between allergies and anxiety works both ways, Current evidence suggests that allergies may be the cause of mood disturbances rather than the other way around. Ahmed R. Sadagat suggests another possible explanation, that our bodies induce a low mood during sickness to encourage rest and recovery. Further research is necessary to determine the precise impact of allergies on mental health. In the meantime, it's recommended that individuals with allergies and anxiety acknowledge the potential connection between the two conditions and seek treatment accordingly. Addressing allergies may lead to improvement in depression and anxiety symptoms. Dr. Nanda's observations and subsequent studies have shed light on a potential association between allergies and mental health issues, particularly those of anxiety and depression. The exact mechanisms are still being explored in this relationship. In conclusion, as we face the allergy apocalypse, it becomes evident that addressing the intricate interplay between environmental factors, lifestyle choices, and human health necessitates a comprehensive and holistic approach. 
Amidst the allergy season, it's crucial to recognize that allergies are not isolated predicaments, but reflections of our evolving relationship with the environment. By embracing a more balanced and sustainable approach to urban planning or prioritizing the role of female trees, reducing air pollution, and fostering diverse microbial exposures, we can cultivate healthier and more allergy-resistant communities. Ultimately, the allergy apocalypse serves as a wake-up call, reminding us of the interconnectedness between our actions and the environment. By cultivating a harmonious coexistence with nature, we can mitigate the impact of allergies and pave the way towards a healthier and more resilient future. In first place, people on their way to Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon. Support, and you have not.